Hey, everybody, and welcome to Unfiltered. I am your host, Kaya McCullough, and I am so, so excited to finally share with you guys this passion project that I've been working on for the past few months. Um, I can't believe it's finally here, but it really is the love child of everything that the past year has given to me and shown me. And again, I'm so excited to share it with you guys. Basically, this show is going to be me talking about the intersection of race and politics, sports, pop culture, you name it. We'll talk about it through the lens of my unfiltered thoughts and through the lens of my life experience, which is pretty crazy. Um, But I'm going to make sure I bring guests on to make sure I'm not just giving you monologues all the time. And yeah, this week I'm super excited. My very, very first guest It makes sense to me to have the person who conceived me as the very first guest for the conception of this podcast. So we are going to be joined by my mother, Amy Thorne, and we're really just going to talk about where it all started for me, Um, my childhood, some of the trauma that I experienced and that she experienced, um, what it was like growing up in a predominantly white town, you know the basics. So we're really going to lay a foundation for the rest of the podcast and start off the conversation really, really well. So stay tuned. Um, super excited to have this conversation with my very own mother. Hello there, mother. Hello, child. Welcome. Welcome to my podcast. Thanks for being my very first guest. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? I know you, but they don't. My name is Amy Thorne, and I am Kaya's mom. Um, I also have another child, Jaron, who's Kaya's brother, and he is nine and absolutely adores his big sister. So I had him when Kaya was about 14, so she's been there through everything. So she was awesome and is an awesome big sister. Um, what else, Kaya? What do I do? What? Yeah, sure. What do you do? Where'd you go to school? You know, the basics. I um, went to school at UCLA also. I was a gymnast there. Uh, well, gosh, 89 to 92, 93, 93. And then I was on the five-year plan, though, so it took me five years to graduate. But we were there right at the the onset. We didn't win a national championship there, but it, it's a good program. But um, uh did gymnastics there. I was a social major. And then... Um, graduated from college, did uh, corporate America for a little bit and decided it's not really what I wanted to do. And so I went back and got my master's degree in educational psychology. And Kaya, what were you about eight, maybe when when I was doing that? Uh, Honestly, my childhood is a blur. I don't know. I have no conception of time. I remember sitting at the table with you doing homework at the same time. So so at that time I was full-time single mom working and Grammy was with us. Yes. Yes. And so um, now I'm a school psychologist, and so I work with um, special ed children, uh, children with special special needs um, in the special education department, and I love my job. Ooh, thank you for that introduction. I knew all of it, but <laughs> I am super glad that you're here to share our story with the world. Uh, I know that is daunting, but, you know, that's just how we roll <laughs> here. So I'm going to start this 
thing, this uh, trend on my podcast where I'm going to tell a story about the person that is my guest for the week. And I mean, generally, I want it to be like a funny story or happy story. I'll ask you to do the same at the end. But for me, this story, even though I almost die in it, I think it's pretty funny. Um, and I picked it because it was literally the first thing that popped in my head. And I think I like this story so much because every time somebody tells it, every time we talk about it, we all end up laughing and it's it's funny. And it just kind of reflects our relationship and our life experience because when bad things happen, we still keep laughing through it. Um, so we used to go... We used to go camping every year, every summer up in Washington, and I was learning how to water ski one year, and I was using these, like, training skis where the handlebar is, like, connected to the skis, and on the other end, there's another handlebar for the grown-up or the adult to responsibly hold on to it so they can let go when you wipe out because, again, my handlebar is attached to my skis. So when I let go, I'm still attached to the skis. So it doesn't do anything. So the geniuses that are my mother and my aunt and uncle and who God knows who else. It was just us. (laughs) They decided that it was a genius idea to tie the other end to the boat um, so that they had less work to do, which, you know, I can't blame them. Like I want to just go and go and go. Um, but so I, you know, they start pulling the boat and I get up on my skis and I quickly fall down and I let go, but I'm still attached to the boat. And so for about 10 to 15 seconds, I was being dragged underwater, like 50 miles an hour in this boat because I couldn't let go of the skis and it was so attached to the boat and they didn't realize. And I was just underwater and they were just, I I don't even know. I don't know what they were doing. Uncle Mike was screaming, let go, let go. (laughs) And so thankfully the skis detached while I was underwater and I was able to get up and I didn't drown, uh, thankfully for all of us, but still one of the funniest stories in our family. And I love retelling it and I will never let you hear the end of it. I promise you. I'm so sorry, but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why I picked it. So I'm glad that you can laugh through it. I can too, even though I was the one who almost died. So we felt, we felt horrible though afterwards, especially when we told Jeremy and he was like, you did what? (laughs) (laughs) I just don't know how you guys thought that that was a good idea, but I digress. I don't know. Anyways. All right. So with that out of the way, my near death, one of several actually near death experiences with you, um, I wanted to talk about in this episode what it was like growing up for me. And obviously, being my mother, you have a big part in that. Um, I think you did a pretty good job, but obviously, there were some speed bumps along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of it goes back, a lot of my worldview goes back to Orange County, which is where I was born and where I was raised. I was born in Irvine. Um, and raised in like the Lake Forest, Mission Viejo area. Um, if anybody's familiar, you might not be, but it's a predominantly white place, has and will be. I did a paper on it in college about how it basically started like far right conservatism. Um, so yeah, 
and you moved there when you were a teenager. Yes, I actually moved. Well, I moved down to Oregon from moved from Oregon to Washington. I think when I was eleven, down from Washington to Orange County when I was thirteen for gymnastics. Um, lived in Placentia. I don't know if you know where that's at. Yeah, for a year, and then moved to Huntington Beach for four years. That's where I went to high school. And so and then I went to college, went to UCLA and LA is quite different than Orange County. And then when I was done with college, I came down here to Lake Forest and because um, your aunt was down here. And then that's kind of where and then when your dad graduated college, you know, he moved down with us. And that was probably before you. <laughs> So how how similar do you think Orange County is nowadays to what it was when you first were there or like when I was growing up too? Like how has the evolution of Orange County been in your experience? Because Huntington Beach is like notoriously very racist. Right. And And it still is. Yeah, I didn't. And what's crazy about that is that I didn't even know that when I was in the thick of it, because I think maybe because of gymnastics, I was in such a sheltered bubble and I was like kind of a teenager that was all just about gymnastics. And so that was my my worldview. And, and I mean, I had, I had friends who were other races. So at that point in my life, I was one of those white people that, Oh, I don't see color because I didn't, but, you know, as I've evolved and, and seen the, the world around me and with, you know, a, a black child, you see, yes, color does exist <laughs> people a lot differently than others. But I think that's kind of what my worldview was like during that time. And then I went to um, UCLA in Los Angeles and, and then I'm, I'm really in um, just, you know, a group of all kinds of different races. I mean, you remember our friend group growing yeah. up, right? Yeah, I do. And I think um, when I moved down here and then, you know, I was down here for a couple of years before I got pregnant with you a few years actually. And um again, I had, I've always had a very diverse friend group. So it's never, and I wasn't very politically active at that point, to be quite honest. So I was kind of just in my little bubble, which I think a lot of people do. And I think a lot of white people do who, who don't have friends in outside groups or who don't have friends in in different, you know, um, income brackets, or they aren't exposed to other people. They just kind of live in their own little bubble. And so I would say me, being with your dad and then having you as a child. And then it expanded my view quite a bit, but I've always had a very, very, very diverse group of friends from, from college on. Yeah. And it's interesting you brought that up too, just cause I didn't even really think about that, but I think for people to understand like where I came from or where, you know, I was raised, like they have to understand how much of a bubble Orange County is. Like it is really hard to get, like, if it weren't for the fact that, like, you had a really diverse friend group, like, you may have turned out completely different. And I've had friends who I'll probably bring on this podcast later who were sucked into the, like, the bubble of Orange County. I mean, the influence of, like, the the church that we grew up next to, um, Saddleback Church, and the influence of, you know, right-wing politics. It's heavy. And, I mean, the real Housewives of Orange County is, like, not far off of a depiction. And the hills. Of- yeah, and the hills. That's like how it is, or like Laguna Beach. Um, but I so think yeah. because I don't, that's like not my, that's not my jam. So I kind of <laughs> avoid that. And so, 
you know, you, yeah, you, you probably had a different experience than you could have had I been not aware and we hadn't been, you know, friends with everybody we were friends with. Well, especially in South County, because South County is very, very predominantly white, like less so in North County where there's more um, Hispanic. I mean, overwhelmingly, there's not very many black people in Orange County, which I mean, obviously influenced how I grew up, but I think there's more people of color a little bit north, but mm-hmm. where we were, it was like a person of color desert. Like it, there, there just didn't really exist the community there. And that's why I'm thankful that we kind of created our own community because I did grow up with people who at least look kind of like me um, when we went to like family things or, you know, we have play cousins and my aunts and uncles who like aren't blood, but who helped raise me. Um But yeah, and so I guess my next question with that is like, were you ever, were you ever scared once that bubble kind of burst for you about raising a child who is going to be black in Orange County? Like, did that thought, did that fear ever cross your mind? It doesn't have, it didn't have to, but did it? Yeah, of course I, I worried about that, you know, not to the extent that maybe I should have. Only because, again, my own naivete. Um, but, you know, we've always raised you to be strong and confident and thinking that you can accomplish anything. And, you know, I guess I had always poisoned the back of my mind just waiting for that day that you would come home and somebody at school called you the N-word. Like, I was really fearful of that. But even, like, at, at your school, there weren't a lot of, of, of Black children. But, I mean, look at your friend group. Yeah. You were in elementary, you know, you had a very diverse friend group too. So you kind of, that wasn't your jam either. You kind of, you know, made sure you surrounded yourself with maybe not necessarily people that did that look like you because there weren't that many, but people who, you know, it's the melting pot. Yeah. I mean, I've always, as I've grown up, I've realized like most of my friend groups throughout elementary school, middle school, high school is very diverse mm-hmm. um I, at least as as diverse as you can get in south orange county um mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know maybe i got that from you maybe that was just the influence of like the people that we surrounded ourselves with but i don't know were there any like any negative comments that stick out that you can remember in raising me that really struck you as like being racist or just like making you uncomfortable or did anybody ever like question your relationship to me because I mean I don't, I don't really think I looked like you you know what I look like me I, I look like now but a little bit you have mannerisms right here but yeah you know I think you know I tell I tell you that there was times when you were little that yeah. that people asked if I was your nanny which <laughs> was funny to me. And then they would always ask if they could touch your hair. Um, but nothing really outright. And, you know, I thought about this before when I did another podcast with you that I don't, I don't know if it's something that was not intentional, not the right word, but I mean, you were always really good at everything you did. You were like top, top of your class academically, top athletically, you know, active um you were a rule follower like you didn't get in trouble like everything you did you were the top at it and so I almost feel like that was like a protective shield 
that kind of maybe kept some of that racism out, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I don't know how to put this gingerly, but you know, the, the stereotypes of what maybe some white people think black folks are like or how they act or, you know, yeah. you didn't get that stereotypical role. So maybe you were a little bit more protected from it in, in our environment, in our setting. And I don't know, maybe the fact that you're light skinned. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I definitely have to acknowledge like the way in which my light skinnedness, my biracial complexion has I think shielded me from a lot and has given me a lot of privilege. And I think that I am what mainstream and what a lot of white, white folks think is like a palatable black girl. Um, I mean, you see like the miscastings in, in media and movies and TV shows of like characters who are supposed to be very dark skinned, who end up being played by like Zendaya and nothing wrong about, you know, these light skinned actresses, but I think we definitely take up a space that um, should be reserved for darker skinned black girls. And I think that, you know, even though I didn't look very similar to a lot of people in Orange County and I was darker and it was very clear that I wasn't white, um, I think that I did, you know, get a lot of privilege from the way I look. Mm -hmm. So that is important to acknowledge too. I also think, and I wonder how your experience would have differed had you been raised predominantly with your dad, if your dad was yeah. your main caretaker and he was the one interacting with folks at school and, you know, folks in sports and he was your main point person and how that perception would have been, um, you know, trickled down to you in, in our yeah. community. I think it would have been a lot different. Well, it's, it's funny too, because like, I've never been questioned of like my dad being my dad when I was out with him like growing up when I was down with him in San Diego, I don't know if that had to do that. We were down in San Diego, which is a little bit different of like a racial makeup, but never, I look like my dad though, too. I never got a question from, you know, whether or not it was his, his child. But I think about like all the interactions that we had up in San Diego or up in Orange County when my dad would like be around. And I mean, people were intimidated by him. And I think a lot of it has to do with racial biases that people hold. And I think a lot of it has to do with racism. So you're absolutely right. I probably would have been a lot different, especially if he would have raised me and been the one to interact up in Orange County. Mm -hmm. Because it's very clearly still very instilled in the culture of Orange County of like that racism. And, you know, even though it flipped blue in the past couple of elections, um, it is the literal place of right-wing conservatism, mm-hmm. which Behind I think carries, yeah, yeah, I think it carries with it a really powerful and entrenching legacy of racism. So, I mean, again, that's why I think it's important to talk about this part first, because I think people really do have to understand like how difficult it was growing up in a place where there was just not a ton of people who looked like me. Yeah, um, and actually, to be quite truthful, there's some guilt that I harbor about that too. But you know, you you kind of go where the where the job is for you, and you know where your where your family yeah. is. And so, I mean, overall, what was it like raising a black child as a white woman in Orange County and? Uh, 
as a single mother too. I mean, I was also raised by my dad, but obviously I stayed with you a lot of the time just because where my school was, because you guys chose to keep me in the same school system once you guys got divorced. Um, yeah, that was really important to me to keep you in that same school because I, I bounced around so much growing up and I knew those were, those are your people. Those are like your, your solid foundation. And you branched out as like you went, as you, you know, matriculated um, through, but I feel like that was important for, for, for me, for you to have that, those, I mean, you are friends with people that you've been friends with since kindergarten, you know? Yeah, I have. I mean, I'm grateful for it, but was there any, like, I'm curious, was there any push when you and my dad were still dating about you guys being an interracial couple? I know it was the 90s, so we'd like to think that it was a little bit post-racial, but um, what was that experience like? Especially, well, I mean, it was probably different in LA, but. Yeah. Well, ha- have you seen your dad? <laughs> Do you think anybody's going to say anything to him? <laughs> no. Um, no, I do not. Well, that's what, I, that's a, a little funny story I have about you too. I don't know. I think, you know, growing up in those two different households, you one time tried to come at me with like, well, my dad doesn't make me do that. And I was like, do I look six feet tall and black? <laughs> you were like, ah. but um, n- no, not really at that point but again the circles that I traveled and that we traveled um but yeah you know there were yeah maybe places where I worked you know snide comments here and there but super passive aggressive like disguised as humor you know or old friends that maybe I went to high school with or just like hmm you know but again nobody would say anything especially if your dad was there like outright (laughs) outwardly yeah they'd be you know in 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 person it'd be a different story but you know comments here and there but again nothing to the point where it affected me um and then you know your your dad and your dad's family I know you how you know how your dad's family is you, you know come from Oceanside and that's military area and it was very diverse down there and so you know very accepting on that end um yeah, nothing out. I don't have like a specific incident where I can say, oh, yeah, this person said this to me because, it, it, yeah, I might, I don't know, I might not be sitting here <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I was going to say like my dad will make comments a lot of the time and just be like, you know, we shielded you from a lot. And I think the past five years of my life have really shown me how much you guys did shield me from and not not in a bad way you know just like any parent would um trying to protect their kid from like the evils of the world but it's really been a reckoning for me and it's it's just funny how often my dad will say that he's like you know I'm sorry that I shielded you from that Mm -hmm. for so long because I mean it really was like it was like you said, like, I don't feel as if I experienced nearly comparable amounts to black kids or darker skinned black kids my age, even in the same area. But a lot of it was very passive aggressive, uh, covert racism, you know, with my hair. I know my hair isn't curly right now, but, um, yeah, like just thinking back and just thinking about how difficult it was for me to even 
conceptualize the idea of race given how diverse the group that we hung out with or that I'm around and I knew I didn't look exactly like my dad or his family and I knew I didn't look exactly like you or your family so it was just it was difficult and just like I, I still think about like I remember there was one time I feel like I threw a tantrum where I was just like I could not figure out why I did not look like you or why I didn't have your hair like I could not figure it out and I remember throwing a tantrum about it or even something similar with just like Barbie dolls like it wasn't until Bratz dolls where I really felt like oh that looks like me and then I always wanted to be Yasmin because she looked the closest to me Mm -hmm. so like she had my same complexion so I don't know like it was it was tough but I'm glad we made it through yes I mean I made it through (laughs) I feel like it could have gone a lot worse to be honest yes agreed I mean mistakes were made but (laughs) none that were um life-threatening or maybe there were, based on that story. There was a few times. <laughs> um, so moving on a little bit from my childhood, I guess, you know, with that experience of growing up in Orange County and couple that with our generational <laughs> trauma and experience, there's a lot of trauma there to unpack. And I think that for both of us, like, we've talked about this a ton of a ton before but just how generational trauma just seep into current day wounds and how it exasperates issues maybe that we we haven't been able to resolve in our lifetime yet um so I wanted to talk about maybe like how we both sort of started embracing you know going to marches and for me my activism um and how that was influenced by maybe our past experiences. Well, I know as I got older and became a mother, and especially a mother of um, a a black biracial child, um, I started becoming more in tune with the, with society and the politics and everything out there and um, just really kind of ingrained myself and started, you know, learning and educating myself and trying to, if I couldn't teach you certain things or if I couldn't be that person for you, trying to expose you to other people who could. Um, Yeah. But as far as like activism, I know one thing that really propelled me was the former guy, (laughs) The, the former president, like, that really kind of got me up and going. Um, And then just seeing you kind of finding your way in college. And I think really when you changed your major from, uh, was it bio or what were you? I was like neuroscience. Neuroscience to political science. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. And that really kind of helped trigger. Which you resisted at first. You resisted that. Both of you did. Both both of you and my dad were like, you're changing your major? Because I was like halfway through college at that point. And you're just like, are you sure? And I was like, yes. When you made it out and you said you already had all the credits figured out and how much time it would take and it wouldn't wouldn't cause you any more time and we were okay with it. Once you did your your, your PowerPoint (laughs) slideshow, 
you need to tell everybody that anytime you want to put something forth, you would do a, she would do a power PowerPoint presentation to me. I still do that because yeah. <laughs> it is the most logical way to organize my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously what is it? 44 was a big push into the political realm, but and even before that, like I, in high school, I had been finding my voice with, um, the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you remember when I, when I first like was like, I stopped standing for that thing. Like I am so mad. And I don't know if you remember that one time when that guy told me to go back to Africa, but I was just like, yep. And I, I was, was, I was ready to back you up, you know, if I got a call from the school or anything. So. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting too, because you know, I didn't want to do anything that, and I feel like this has been a pattern that I've followed up until this point. Um, obviously now I'm unfiltered, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to bite the the hand that feeds you a lot of times. You don't want to say things that'll jeopardize your position within an organization or within a school or a college or a team. Um, and in that case, like you were doing your internship or whatever for becoming a school psych at my school, which was, you know, irritating to see you all the time <laughs> when I was trying to be a teenager. But, you know, I didn't want to jeopardize your position within the district or, you know, jeopardize my scholarship as I was trying to go play college somewhere. But I think ultimately, like, things just gradually progressed and one thing that I valued is that I, you know, we were, you guys have always been a pretty liberal household that I was growing up in. So I feel like I always had the space to explore my own feelings and educate myself. And I mean, you can attest this, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we've always had very grown up conversations mm -hmm. since I was like a young kid. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say you know, our experience as a family and, you know, your guys' worldviews definitely influence mine, but I greatly appreciate, like, not being confined to stay in some box that was assigned for me, like most of the kids that I was growing up around. I mean, there are still people that come up to me and are just like, you know, like, it was really hard to, like, educate myself and, like, get out of that line of thinking. And there's people who haven't done it to this day and who I can't even interact with or just as they're still in that narrow minded thinking. So I have to say, I appreciate that from you. You are so welcome. <laughs> I just wanted I to, I, I just wanted to indoctrinate you into my own line of thinking. That was my <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. See, I, I feel like that's what the, you know, the fake news is saying. They're like, you know, these liberals are just indoctrinating their kids and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I was anything but. <laughs> yeah, I really feel like it was me having my evolution. Yeah, I so, I'm curious, do you see anything in me that is like a direct line of like, I mean, obviously I'm still very similar to when I was a kid, but do you see anything that like stands out that like when you see me do it today, you're like, oh my gosh, you used to do that when you were younger or like just something that's like a direct thread of like some habit or some mannerism or some way of thinking that I still have from when I was a kid that I wouldn't remember. 
Well, I don't uh, I think you remember. I just I know that you have always been like highly motivated and yeah. highly self-disciplined and you've been intrinsically motivated, not extrinsically motivated at all. You wanted to learn and go to school for the fact that you were learning, not because I mean, grades. Yeah, that really motivated you because you're so damn competitive <laughs> the only person or besides your dad and me that are more competitive. My God. I remember you told me one time that you hated to lose more than you like to win. Still true. Yeah. So that's my, I mean, I, if anything, I still see that like you're studying now, right? You study yeah. a few hours a day and that's yeah. on your own. That's like, you're, you've always been so self-disciplined. And I remember Jeremy telling me a couple of times when he would wake up and go downstairs in the kitchen, you'd be at the kitchen table until two or three in the morning doing your homework, you know, just being able to balance it all. But just so, so, and I didn't, I didn't ever have to tell you to do that. I, how many times did you ever hear me tell you to do your homework? Never. I mean, you just wanted to learn for the sake of learning. And I just see that insatiable, you know, appetite for information and, and, um, and, and like reasons and you want to know why and and learn it from all kinds of different people. So I'd say that's like probably the trait that, and, and you've been like that since you were, you were little, little, little. <laughs> I, I do. I do think that that is like a very solid, solid thing that I have carried over from my childhood, which I'm grateful for. So, cause I think that that means that it is deeply ingrained within me and it's not something that I will easily lose. So that's a, plus for me right um, <laughs> so with my evolution obviously you've been there from the very beginning and you've seen me kind of grow into the woman I am today and the activist I am today and you know everything that I am today how have you seen your own evolution change course in response to mine and in response to my growth. Cause I feel like our relationship is unique in that. Yes. You're my parent and yes, you know, you're the boss, but I don't feel as if you've ever felt like you were better than me or um, that I didn't reserve, that I didn't deserve the respect that you gave me. So how have you learned from my own journey? I know. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but yeah. I, I've always felt like, I mean, and you know me, I don't really respect authority very easily. And I think that respect is earned and I respected you guys because you guys deserved it. And I felt respected. Um, but like, how, how do you think that your own like journey in discovering, you know, how to be a white ally has, has been changed or has mirrored or has been developed through my own journey? Well, I think, you know, just kind of what I touched on before about that naivete, like, oh, I don't see color. I'm just colorblind versus like, no, you can't be colorblind. It's, you know, a systemic issue. It's all of us. And, you know, I think one of the, the quotes that hits me the most is just, you know, what is the MLK? What that silences complicity, right? I can't fact check you on that right now, but I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, but just being in my own space and being able to sit back and observe and listen with an open heart and an open mind and hear perspectives and 
without judgment or without making excuses. Like, I don't want to, I, I think I kind of maybe tr- transitioned from being like, that. Oh, not me, not me to, but not all white people and not me. I mean, we still kind of joke about that. You and I, because you'll say something and I'm like, wait a minute. You're like, mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, going from that perspective to, um, well, no, just sit back and listen. This is not your space to take up. You know, I think too, there was a transition like, no, not me, but then me wanting to do what I could to help in maybe all the wrong ways. Like it's not your turn, Amy. It's not your turn to speak up. You need to sit back and listen and engage other white people like you, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know why I just thought of this, but I, when you talked about engaging with other white people who are like in your space, like how has your, your whole Facebook thing evolved in the past four years? I'm not very active on Facebook anymore because I can't deal with it because of irritating people. But have you lost a lot of relationships in coming to that evolution of thought or, you know, how are you, how have you handled that in the midst of, especially in the past year with this sort of like racial reckoning that has been happening after George Floyd was murdered? Like, have you even noticed a shift in yourself since then? Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. I've definitely unfriended and blocked a lot more than I think (laughs) I ever have or just completely disregarded certain people, you know, and it's a fine line. You want to balance between like respecting other people to have, you know, have their own opinion. But if you're not agreeing with me, like you can have a different opinion, but if what you believe in is like morally unjust and, you know, ethically unjust and just if there's a, if what you think is going to have a direct or an indirect impact on my child and the people that I love, then. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I definitely um have I well you know I've unfriended a lot of people and had to shift a lot of relationships and really protect my sacred energy um I almost burnt myself out to death this past year and I mean I'm getting the help I need now but yeah that was it was really tough um especially in feeling so alone, which is, you know, to an extent, like that's how it's been a lot of my life. Like I obviously have had you, I've had our family, I've had, you know, Kenna, I've had my dad and his family, but like a lot of this journey I feel like has been walked alone and that's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, the consequence of the circumstances <laughs> you know I didn't look like you you didn't look like me I didn't look like my dad he didn't look like me and those are the people who are your your first guides in this life like your parents um so I think that's one of the things that I've dealt with for most of my life but also this past year I've learned to maybe I don't want to say that I've become okay with carrying that solo burden. I mean, we were talking about this the other day, how it feels it's a very, very lonely road (laughs) activism is because a lot of times you feel like, you know, you're just doing it alone and you're carrying the weight of the world on you. But I don't know. Like you've embraced it a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And that's why I I don't want to say that I've, you know, fallen prey to it, but I think I've embraced it, embraced the burden almost a little bit more than I did when I was a kid. Um, 
Well, that's true. I mean, you think about it from the perspective of, you know, as a white woman, I'm never going to be able to, to see things or experience things from your perspective. And as a black man, you know, your dad's never going to see or experience anything from your perspective. Like you don't yeah. have to then probably McKenna. Yeah. That's like in your close knit group of, you know, somebody that's going to experience what you've experienced. Yeah. And I, I think about when, I mean, but you really have been like a huge influence on me. I mean, you're the reason that, you know, I still remember the very first women's march that we went to um, right after Grump got elected. Was that um, knee surgery? Was that that one? You no, just- it was the one before that. It was the, the very first oh. inaugural one. We went to the one in Orange County. Yeah. And then we were like, screw this. We're going to go to LA next year. (laughs) Yeah. This isn't radical enough for us. (laughs) Well, and then, you know, it evolved. And so, like, we started with that very first one, and it was just us and your friend. friend And then we went to the LA one the next year. And you almost didn't want me to go because I just had knee surgery a week before. But I was like, no. What? Yeah, I know. I was like, fuck the patriarchy i'm tearing it down and then then we went to the the um protest for the parkland shooting and then you know it it evolved into being able to lead the la woman's march which just which was just like ridiculous and i got like an article from that or got to talk in a big article for that and you know, it's definitely evolved. And you were one of the first people, too, that I, well, not one of the first person I told that I was going to start kneeling. Yeah, and- that was crazy, too. I don't know. I think I told you this, that I was watching it on the news. And I forget which incident there was. And that's really sad, the fact that there's been so many that I can't recall which one it was. Yeah. But it was a, a lot of, I don't know if it's when Kaepernick started kneeling again. or Yeah, I think it was. And so... I was watching it and I was like, oh, she's, she's going to want to kneel. She is going to want to kneel. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, and it was a text message from you. And then you called me in tears. And I was like, okay, talk to your coaches. I yeah. Got I got you. It was overwhelming. And it's funny because I haven't really heard you tell that story too many times. I feel like I've told that story like, in so many interviews and so many articles and so many, you know, whatever podcasts, but I yeah, mean, sitting on my bed and I was watching the news and I'm like, well, oh, oh God, I'm like, oh, okay, we got this because <laughs> I knew I mean, it. Were, were you worried when I told you that? I, I was a little bit that, you know, the backlash you were going to get, but I was like, fuck it. Like I got you. Yeah. Right. I remember you telling me like, you know, Kaya, like, not saying that this is like uh like I completely support you and I think what you're doing is amazing, but you're like there's gonna be like consequences, like and you have to be prepared for that. And I was like, you know what, I don't care what they are, like I am done with this, I am going to revolt. Like I I remember being so fired up, but it was really you that, you know, helped me curate that path for myself and you know. I talk about this a lot with you and my therapist about how, <laughs> how much, you know, your guys is not valid. Well, yeah, your validation, you and my dad's validation has meant to me as a kid and 
even now, like, I feel like I am disappointed. If I disappoint you, I feel like the world's going to end. So, I mean, it really was like a, a big reason why I did decide that I was, you know, strong enough to do it because I knew that I was supported by you and my dad. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's like the only thing that mattered to me was that at least I would still have my parents to support me. Like, even if the rest of the world wanted me dead and wanted to scream at me, like if I had your guys' support, I was totally fine. Be okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess one of my like closing questions for this conversation then is just like how what advice do you have for other white people who are looking to be allies other um white mothers who are going to have biracial kids um in a non like fetishy weird way um what advice do you have for them on, you know, letting go of your own white fragility and, you know, not imposing your own white guilt on the black community specifically or on people of color, but more specifically the black community? Um, I don't know. What what do you think has really centered your journey in your evolution and what advice can you give to them? Well, I think kind of what I touched on before, a couple of things, is just re- recognizing that you will never have the same experiences that I've had, and I will never have the experiences that that you've had, right? And acknowledging those and, you know, um, educating yourself. Like, listen, don't just read and listen to perspectives and hear stories and integrate yourself, you know, Things, be, things change a lot when things become personal for you. When you have yeah. a black child, it changes your perspective a lot. When you have black friends, when you, you know, have a, a black brother-in-law, when things are close to you, it, it, it changes. And it's sad that it has to take that, but it does. Yeah. It personalizes it and it changes that perspective. And then, and then you realize, oh, that is not cool. Like I, like I said, oblivious to some things before. I think I told you before, I, I went out to dinner with your dad and his family, like when we first started dating and, and we did not get sat in the restaurant for like an hour and your granny was livid. And I was like, well, maybe they're just busy. And she was like, no. <laughs> like, so I had to take a step back, you know, and that wasn't like disregard. I wasn't intentionally disregarding what was happening. I was just ignorant of it. So I guess just really in involving yourself to the point where you're not like trying to like make up for that white guilt, but just listen and learn and absorb. And then, and then, and then ask, you know, what can I, what can I do to be helpful? You know, not just, you know, what to do. And I guess just taking that step back and not holding that space. It's really important. And I feel like it says a lot about, about you. Um, and your allyship, especially because, and just how powerful it is, just because, you know, it's not always easy to get told what to do by your daughter. I know that I'm a very <laughs> imposing person. I'm a very overwhelming person. And it's not always easy to, like, let go of your pride and your ego and, like, sit back and learn from anybody. But then, you know, 
even though we do have a very like close relationship, you know, it's not always easy to sit back and be like, my daughter is like the one telling me this, you know? So I think it says a lot. About- I, think, I think, well, I appreciate that. But I think the thing about that is that this is what you know. If you were trying to tell me something about gymnastics, then I might be not so accepting, but this is you. This is what you know. And I, like I told you the other night, I trust you. I learn a lot from you as much as like you, you think that you learn from me. I learn a lot from you and I trust you and I trust the process and I trust that you trust yourself. And I think that is what, you know, you, you kind of learn to let go of ego and what, you know, what's been one of my sayings that I've said since I had you. And then I had Jaren is how I want to raise my kids. You remember? I don't at the top of my head, but when you say it, I'm going to know. It would be one of the tattoos I would want to get if I ever got a tattoo. And it was give them roots and give them wings. Oh. So I've done my job, right? Now it's time for me to sit back and let you fly and trust in the job that your dad and, and you know, and your step parents and your grannies and your families and everybody have done. We've done our job. Now it's time to let you fly. So, you know, you have your wings. And so I trust, I trust that process, but I trust you. Like, I know your judgment. I know um, your knowledge base. I know your passion. I know your integrity. Um, so it's easy for me to sit back and just say, okay, this is your reign. This is your, your realm here. You, you take the reign and I'll follow. Anybody who knows how big of a control freak you are and I am would know that that was difficult. <laughs> you say it's easy, but I'm, I'm giving you more credit than you're giving yourself because <laughs> you are a control freak. <laughs> And that's not a bad thing. It's just, you know. I know. So I guess one final question before I let you tell your story. Like, I feel like I know the answer, but I also need the validation. Is Are you proud of me and everything I am? Yes. <laughs> Would you ever doubt that? No. No, no, no. I wouldn't. That's what I'm saying. I already know the answer. I need the validation. Yes, I'm extremely proud of you. And not just for soccer, like you think. Um, everything. I mean, it just anything you set your mind to, you accomplish. Like, you know, and that's historically been what, you, what you've done. That's why I believe in you. I believe in you to no end, probably more than you believe in yourself. Probably. So. No, probably. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe in myself, but I think you and my dad are, are up there fighting for the first spot. Well, I think that's one thing too, just to comment on that real quick, your dad and I have, and, and even your step-parents have always, you know, told you, you can do and be anything you want. And you've, and you've said this before that you grew up thinking you could do anything and conquer the world. And I think my thought process, especially as a white woman raising a, a black biracial child, like I consciously made the decision that I would rather have you be too much than not enough because I'd rather you be too much so I could like contain it a little bit and channel it then not enough because as, as, as a black woman, you, the experiences that you were going to have, I knew it. I knew it from the time I, you know, I conceived you was going to be something completely different. And so to, to build you up and build you up and build you up and then have to mold it and channel it. That was, that was my goal. That was my goal. And do you think you accomplished that? I think so. <laughs> you you might have had to serve me a couple slices of humble pie along the way, but I think oh, so. Too. Yes, you've had a lot of crow and a lot of humble pie. <laughs> All right. Well, 
closing up, I'm going to let you tell one of your favorite stories about us or our relationship or anything in that realm. So take it away. I have a few, but one, one thing I think that sticks with me that kind of speaks to like how you are right now and how you've evolved is, I don't know if you remember um, going to all the um, ODP camps in Ojai. Yeah. And then, I mean, multiple years in a row, you would be the one that was not picked, right? You would be either the alternate or on the cusp. And this <laughs> was always that one. I, and I can't even begin to tell you how many times we stopped at that McDonald's on the exit, going back to the freeway. And you got a burger and a shake and you would cry and cry and cry. And I don't know how many damn times I, I said that Michael Jordan story about him <laughs> his varsity basketball team. I mean, it was the same story. It was, I felt like I was in Groundhog Day because it was the same <laughs> time and like my heart broke, but just having to like, you know, reiterate and reiterate. And I remember telling you at one time, I think you were upset about like politics or something in, in either at school or soccer. Um, but I remember, and I don't, th- you told me it cause I brought this up to you not too long ago and you didn't remember me telling you this, but I remember you were pissed off about something that it's not fair. And I was like, you know what, Kaya, sometimes you got to play the game. You got to play the game so you can get to the point. You got to follow the rules and play the game so you can get to the point where you make the, make the rules yourself to whether you, to, so where you're the one in control. And do you remember me telling you that? I still don't, but I'm sure it's it happened. Like one day I said, sometimes you got to play these little games and you got to, you know, white patriarchy. You kind of have to kind of go with it so you can position yourself to when you get to the point where you're the one making the rules. You're the one in charge. You're the one who says what goes. And that's kind of what I, what, what I, what I remember. About you. <laughs> There's too many to pick. Yeah, there really are. Truthfully, I feel like our relationship has remained very similar throughout the years. Um, as I get older, I another reason I found it important to have you first is because as I get older, I see myself. <laughs> Why did you just do that? <laughs> I see myself turning into you more and more, which uh, you're an amazing woman. So again, like the, that's just me joking, but um, yeah. So yeah, especially I, like when we say the same exact thing at oh, the same exact time. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's you know that's why I did the puke thing. No, you, not, get out of my brain. Get out of my head. <laughs> not because you're <laughs> awful or anything. Just because I I see it happening, and I'm gonna end up just like our your mom, Grammy. Um, it's like a, a clear line. We talk about generational stuff. Um, we are a clear, a clear path. We are just one line through our entire genealogy. I don't know, but yeah. So thanks for being on my first episode. I, sorry, it, it was um, not rough, but it was the, the first run through. So I'm glad that it, it went well. I'm I'm really happy you're doing this. I think you have a lot to give and a voice to to put out there. And I know you had said, um, you'd asked me before, like what advice to give to you or to anybody else. Um, But on the one, the one vein of you saying to me, I'm a a control freak, but do you remember what's the one thing that I told you since you were a little girl? Apparently you've had a ton of these. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> you said, that's the second time you said that's the one thing. What's the 32nd thing I've told you since you were a little girl? 
I don't know. I need a chart. About controlling the controllables. You can't, oh, yeah. you can't control what people say or do or act or how they treat you. All you can control is what? How you how react. You to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that one. I need to make a book of all this stuff, essentially. Mommyisms. Yeah. <laughs> you can't control what people say to you, do to you, think about you, treat you. All you can control is how you react to it. So that would be my advice. Well, I will continue to control how I react to things and, um, you know, hopefully control the whole damn table once I get up there. Um, or break the, the table. I don't think a table needs to be there. Um, so <laughs> thanks for being on. Um, that's the show for this week. Thanks if you're still here listening. I appreciate you being here. Um, stay tuned for more conversations like this, completely unfiltered. Um, it's definitely going to get a lot more intense, especially as we start going into more pop culture and political stuff. This is just laying the foundation for the rest of the show. So make sure you subscribe, rate, and review because that helps you know us get discovered and helps me do what I do. And tweet any comments that you may have or topic suggestions that you have. Um, would love to hear feedback on it. And yeah, make sure to follow us on the socials too. It'll be down below. We don't necessarily have them right now um, at the time of filming because this is episode number one, but they will be linked below. So thanks everybody. Thanks for watching. Appreciate you or, or watching or listening. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing with your life. <laughs> don't laugh at me, mother. <laughs> I'm the only one who can. <laughs>